light of infinite. I remember being a music director at WMUC in Maryland. I was in college, and record labels would send me their music with one sheets, this sort of elevator pitch, hoping that their songs would make it to some of the shows on our radio station. I saw one album named Pharaoh's Daughter that caught my attention. It was released by Michael Dorff under his Jewish imprint under the Knitting Factory clubs that he owned, which I first heard about from the hip-hop group The Roots, and then by some of the incredible New York free jazz musicians that I followed. In the future, it wasn't until later that I found myself performing at the Knitting Factory and befriending Michael Dorff. But while in college, it was just a place that I knew about. I opened the Pharaoh's Daughter CD and saw it was composed by Basia Schechter and was curious to hear what sort of music would come via this hipster jazz club. It was a mix of Sephardic and Ashkenazic tones, but in such an original way. Some stripped down, others more fully composed, but all with the heart of Basia throughout. Music has the power to remind us of our roots, the ancient lineage that we continuously emerge from, the antiquity of the art that surrounds the historic memories that inform our traditions. When I hear beautiful Jewish music, it hits my soul in a different way than when I hear an equally incredible composition from, say, Bonnie Vare. Jewish music evokes the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, and the lyrics are generally inspired by passages from the Torah and Torah ideas. What comes from the heart enters the heart, and nothing resonates more than the truth. Torah is truth and synonymous with water because both water and Torah give us life. Music steeped in Torah brings life because that is the well from which it's drawn. In our parasha, Pharaoh's daughter pulls Moshe from the water to save him, bringing redemption to an entire nation on the brink of destruction. She named him Moshe, meaning the one who was drawn from water. The gematria numerical value of Moshe is 345, which represents redemption. Rab Natan of Breslov teaches that Moshe elevates the Jews from Shmad, destruction, which is 344, to Ratzon, divine favor, which is 346. Batya, Pharaoh's daughter, was also transformed from idolatry to favor by converting. As it says in Talmud Sota, she went to cleanse herself of her father's idolatry. Perhaps the most incredible part of our exodus and redemption is that it is brought by Moshe, who grew up in the house of the oppressor, who, as mentioned in the previous chapter, did not fall into falsities and niceties that one would tend to grow accustomed to by growing up as a son of the king. We would think our redemption would come through a person who is as far physically as one could get from the king. But Abarbanel points out that the murder of the Egyptian, the quarrel of the two Israelites, and the rescue of Yitro's daughter are mentioned right after that we are told that Moshe grew up in Pharaoh's house to teach us of Moshe's spiritual greatness. The Ibn Ezra argues that perhaps Hashem caused Moshe to grow up in a royal palace so that his soul would be on a high level of study and behavior rather than the low expectations of a slave. Had things been otherwise, would Moshe have killed the Egyptian for his violent act or saved Yitro's daughter from being harassed by the shepherds of Midian who were stealing their water? If Moshe grew up amongst his brethren and had been familiar to them through his youth, they would not have revered him. They would have considered him one of them. The same way we feel the music of our past echoing in the present, Moshe felt and knew that he was not an Egyptian. Despite his upbringing and surroundings, he knew he was a Hebrew, an Israelite. Moshe had an attachment to Yocheved, his nursemaid, and her children. He later found out that he was her son and that her children were his siblings. As the saying goes, the truth always comes out in the end. It was then that Moshe grew up and he went out to his brethren and saw their suffering. Later in the parasha, it says of Moshe, Hashem saw that he turned aside to see. This is referring to Moshe's leaving his own comforts to witness pain and suffering of others and to act upon it. This is what made Moshe worthy of being the redeemer and leader of B'nai Israel. 
something that we all need to continuously learn from. It's not enough to see and feel empathetic towards someone else's suffering. We must also act on it and work to redeem that suffering. Just as Hashem articulates for us in this parasha, I have indeed seen the affliction of my people that is in Egypt, and I have heard its outcry because of its taskmasters, for I have known of its suffering. I shall descend to rescue it from the hand of Egypt and to bring it upon that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's written in the last book of the Torah, Justice, justice you shall pursue. And it's this very justice that Moshe exemplified and made him worthy of being our shepherd. King David writes in Tehillim, He shall judge the poor, rescue the needy, and break the oppressor. Usually understood to refer to Mashiach. Akedat Yitzchak points out that these are exactly the traits that Moshe embodied, and it's why he was chosen to be Israel's redeemer from the Egyptian exile, just as Mashiach will be the final redeemer from our current exile. Breaking down this verse from Tehillim, he shall judge the poor, paralleling the quarrel of the two Israelites, when he intervened and said to the wicked one, Why are you beating your brother? Rescue the needy refers to when Moshe got up and came to Yitro's aid. He shall break the oppressor refers to the smiting of the Egyptian. It's interesting to note that Moshe seems to be asking that Hashem send Mashiach instead of him when we read, Send, I pray you, by the hand of whom you will send. The Midrash tells us that this is Moshe asking that the Mashiach should be sent in his stead, meaning by the hand of the Mashiach, who will be the future Redeemer. Of course, as the story plays out, we see the request was not granted, as Moshe is the one meant to redeem Israel from the enslavement of Egypt to the promised land flowing with milk and honey. We see here the connection between Mashiach and Moshe, as it's written in the Zohar, Moshe was the first and he will be the last Redeemer. What this means to teach us is that the redemptive power of Mashiach is drawn from Moshe and that they share traits and characteristics. Rambam points out that our power to bring Mashiach is by virtue of following the Torah of Moshe. The Lubavitch Rebbe expounds on this inner connection that is seen in the verse, and the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. We see this through the gematria of the words Yavo Shiloh and Mashiach, Shiloh come and Messiah, which are numerically equivalent. And we see the same numerical equivalence applies to Shiloh and Moshe. We also see that Yavo come is equal to Echad, one. And so we can infer that Mashiach is Moshe plus one, meaning the Mashiach, the final redemption, will come through oneness, which is brought about and transmitted through Torah Moshe. As we have covered many times, every descent is for the sake of an ascent. And as we learn through Hasidut, our subsequent ascent is higher than the state before the descent. So what could be viewed in despair should be viewed through a positive perspective. We see this through the timeline of our journey. Adam had six mitzvot, commandments. Noah had seven, and extra mitzvot were given to each patriarch, even though we learned that they kept all of Torah before it was given. But when we fast forward through the initial journey to the giving of the Torah, we see the closeness and the chosenness. You have chosen us is greater than all the moments preceding. The Lubavitch Rebbe articulates that this was a revelation of Hashem's essence, something that had not occurred in this way prior. And as Isaiah articulates, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The level of closeness and revelation of Hashem when Mashiach arrives will be far greater than any revelation experienced during previous redemptions. As we read in last week's parasha, Yaakov is referred to as the choicest of the forefathers, implying his service was greater than that of his fathers. In regards to the other holy patriarchs, Avram and Yitzchak, the Arizal teaches that their ways of relating to and serving Hashem contained some element of imbalance, which manifested as an imperfection in their offspring. Unrestrained love which Avram embodied can turn into loving the wrong things. 
and unrestrained awe or fear, which Yitzchak embodied, can turn into fear or awe of the wrong things. So we see that although Avram brought Yitzchak into this world, he also brought in Yishmael. And likewise, through Yitzchak, he brought Yaakov into the world, but he also brought Esav. Only Yaakov's sons were all righteous because of the attribute of mercy, which he embodies by virtue of his complete connection to the Torah, and by definition, intelligent emotionality, and as such can perfect both love and awe or fear, and is resistant to improper application. So we see Yaakov who brought in Bnei Israel into the world, birthing our nation through the 12 tribes. Nevertheless, even decades later with the revelations at Sinai that brought a transformation to holiness, our world was not yet utterly transformed, as we see shortly after with the potential to sin, which played out with the sin of the golden calf. But in the time of Mashiach, there won't be temporal divine altering, but a shift from the potential of impurity that manifests as the Sitra Akhra, the other side, to only one side, the side of Emet, truth. Divisions will be destroyed, which can also mean full internal unity and the absence of our divine impulse towards evil. Falls bring elevation. The descent to Egypt brings the ascent to the promised land, and so on, as it is within our own lives. Until the redemptive state, we can't only reap without sowing. We have to remember when we sow through the hardships, the flip side of it is reaping the blessings. The Mashiach Prati, the personal redemption, as well as Kali, the communal redemption, is brought about by each of us revealing godliness in the world, to ourselves and to each other. The revelation at Sinai was from above. It was a temporal taste of what is to come, the coming of Mashiach. We can only do that from within. Ramban outlines the notion in this famous saying, Maseh Avot Siman Banim. The father's actions are a sign to their sons. In other words, the stories about the Avot are prophetic indicators of what will occur in future generations. The prophecies must be fulfilled because the Avot's actions actualize them, meaning Avram's descent into Egypt alludes to Bnei Israel's enslavement there and so on. So we see in Avram's journey that the history of Bnei Israel was rehearsed and actualized. Just as he went down to Egypt, we did the same through the Egyptian exile. But also just as Avram went up out of Egypt, we too were brought to Israel to redemption. And just as Avram left weighed down with cattle and silver and gold, we did the same, leaving Egypt with greater wealth. Avram started the descent from an ascent of the entire people. Moshe, beginning with this parasha, took it further, bringing out the whole nation from slavery to freedom and the revelation at Sinai, which brought Torah Moshe, the outlining of the mitzvot that contain all the ways to purify oneself and elevate physicality. The Mashiach, the final redemption, takes this process manifested through Moshe to a level of perfection for the purity of the world. The prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Echa, Lamentations, which you read on Tisha B'av. And there's one Pasuk that really encapsulates exile and the promised land, constriction and redemption. Judah has gone into exile. Because of his misery and harsh oppression, she settled amongst the nations and found no rest. All her pursuers overtook her in the narrow places. Narrow places parallel the constrictions of Egypt. In Hebrew, Egypt, Mitzrayim, which means straits or confinement or constriction, this stanza depicts our soul going from its infinite source into exile, constrained physicality. The rectification of exile of the divine presence is the process of ushering in through awareness and action the final redemption, which is a return to source. We have to remember to bring the redemptive state, we need to constantly refine our bitachon, trust, so that we truly believe in the goodness that holds the entire world and everything in it. We can only bring others to the truth when we are fully immersed in it ourselves. Truth in Hebrew is emet, which is the first, middle, and last letter of Aleph, Bet, paralleling what is written in Isaiah. I am first, and I am last, and besides me, there is no God. 
There is nothing but Hashem, the truth, oneness, represented by Aleph. To remove Aleph from Emet is to be left with Met, which means death. The other side of truth is the Sitra Achra, which represents the opposite of life and of truth and opposes Hashem by concealing oneness. It may feel like our generation is at a lower level than the previous, but we are actually standing on the good deeds of those that came before us. Connected to their souls, and our ascent and our final redemption comes from the previous hardships and the ascent that came from their descents. We are now in the time of the final redemption, closer than we have ever been. We need to tap into the reality, the truth, that oneness, and reveal what has previously been concealed. The revelation is becoming clearer than it's ever been. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.